0: From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to the Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. Burnout is something we talk about more and more in medicine, and for good reason. We're starting to realize that the way we practice modern medicine places us under extraordinary and unique strains. And the effects of those stresses, be they the medical record, the moral injury of a system not aligned with our ideals, or just having your circadian rhythms totally disoriented, are profound. My guest today is Dr. Che Kalura. He's a former chief resident here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I caught up with him before he left us to start a private practice at Mercy Medical Center, and we talked about his residency at UW and how he personally dealt with burnout, as a resident working night shifts after he gave a terrific Grand Rounds here entitled Night Float, Working on Mysteries Without Any Clues. Enjoy. Dr. Calero, welcome to the surgery set.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: It's so great. I, I love having our chief residents come through doing their Grand Rounds talks because it's an opportunity to sort of get a little behind-the-scenes view of like what it is that these people that we've been bossing around for the past five years actually think about the world tell us a little bit about your journey just what took you from small town nebraska to uh, now chief resident in surgery at the university of wisconsin
1: long road Um, one of the elder statesmen in my residency and so every now and then i catch myself in the mirror and i don't think i've changed too much physically in the past five years which means i'm in my middle ages i think (laughs) the story from nebraska was that my parents are both from nebraska my grandparents are both from nebraska i'm a very midwest roots uh, deep in the midwest uh, my mother's parents are farmers uh, my dad's uh, parents um, were in the elks industry and as well as uh, homemakers uh, growing up in the 40s 50s and 60s so a very stable childhood
0: sort of like the quintessential classic midwest life yeah oh
1: two two boys a picket fence and uh, and, a, and a dog yeah, yeah pretty much had it wow the tranquility of nebraska just didn't i i just wanted to see what else was out there and i think pushing myself and my education limits and having an interest in um anatomy and physiology made me want to do medicine from the outset but then how do i get that given that i wanted to kind of jump off a little bit more and so that's what we had family uh friends that told us about wake forest and different aspects of the country outside of the midwest the places with water that's where i kind of jumped off and then i've been
0: going ever since trained initially in the caribbean and then bounced around a little bit around the u.s i think we were in boston at a similar time and then you've been out here for three Three years. years now three years What's next? Where are you headed?
1: I am entertaining different contracts um, across the state, but essentially um, want to stay in Wisconsin and practice general surgery. I know I've spoken with you, and I've had an interest in developing aspects of a general surgery practice that include um, different subspecialties, uh, such as pediatrics and others. But I, taking care of patients is the number one thing, and whether they're literal or old or small or big, has always been my my love.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that. There's at least one podcast in the future about how we train community general surgeons who are operating on, they're operating on kids and they're going to continue operating on kids and they're operating on 100-year-olds and they're going to continue operating on 100-year-olds and everyone in between and, and how we kind of find that balance, as I know you've thought deeply about, is such an interesting question. I want to focus for now on your the topic of your talk. Mm-hmm. To me, struck a number of nerves, but maybe we could focus initially on this issue of of burnout, It's what everybody's talking about in medicine nowadays. I would like to sort of pick your mind about this question that is bugging me. We talk a lot about burnout, which sort of implies individual people run out of resilience. More recently, I've heard it framed in a way that I find more compelling based on my own experience, which is it's not so much that you know, you're a weak person, but that the system in which we work mm-hmm. is imposing moral injury on the people who work in it.
1: I've seen that clip too, and it, it's circulated around. I haven't talked about it with um, many of my classmates or um, too many of my family members, mostly because I'm trying to sleep, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> Which is another thing yes. that we should talk about, right? Because
0: like the sleep <laughs> issue is real, and that, that contributes uh, to the problem.
1: But the burnout with the depersonalization, uh, emotional exhaustion, and this uh, amount of... this There's perception of low achievements. These three concepts, I think, are not pervasive, but they are real attributes that happen when you have an intense job like ours. How does this process happen? Is it just because we're working so much? Is it just because we're taking care of sick people? Is it just because we're in a system that has a lot of components and needs to, it's a business. We need to take care of people and make sure people have jobs and we need to continue to take care of sick people, which means we need resources. Mm -hmm. How does this impact us? And I think, the concept of duty hours and night floats and all of that was a jumping off point, I think, to talk about burnout because I agree with you. A lot of residents and um, a lot of my colleagues and a lot of staff I hear talk about, especially with the statistics being as high as 40% of all surgeons practicing have burnout. How do we address that? And with moral injury, I I don't personally think that it's necessarily a system pressing down, but I think it's our ability to push back. There's a sense of responsibility and an understanding of what you're going through that i think the awareness part of it didn't really connect with me until this year i've been talking with one of my mentors about that and going through some difficult periods last year with being on a night float for trauma and then going to day, and then going back to nights and three months total of trauma going from a night to day to night was exceptionally difficult uh, mentally for me that was when I was identified by some nursing as being difficult to deal with that was when I was most absent from my interactions with my family members and I think hearing my mentor say during that time it just sucks actually kind of reset my mind because it just hmm. does understanding that what you're going through is not natural that it doesn't really matter if everybody's gone through it or not like you don't care as a resident if your mentors have gone through this or not. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean,
0: that's something you hear a lot in surgery is like, well, it just is this way. And like, we did it and you can too. And I remember coming, I mean, I kind of came up during the transition from completely unregulated work hours. So when I was a medical student, you know, 100 hour, 120 hour weeks were like not uncommon, right? Um, and then as a, as a resident, I kind of came in on the 80 hour work week and was in, involved in some of that sort of fine tuning of the work hours regulations and and i remember so many people when i was a resident like the older surgeons being like you guys are just don't even know weak. you have no idea yep. we did it and you can to like stop whining <laughs> has burnout always been there and we're only just now sort of recognizing it seems like it could be true right like let let's not forget that our modern system of training which is held as our baseline right this is the way it's always been done is the way that was invented by a bipolar cocaine addict at Johns Hopkins who like kept his residents prisoner in the hospital wouldn't let them get married right and that's what we measure everything as a non-inferiority trial against right and it's an accident of history I you have to imagine to some degree right Right. Um, but has it always been there or is it is it a new phenomenon if so like what why now
1: I think that's a really interesting question. And going through residency and becoming a chief resident and giving this presentation, it really almost feels like it's kind of always been there, or elements have always been there, or we haven't been honest with what we've dealt with necessarily from a work perspective. I think in the age of um, quality metrics and patient satisfaction, we're more and more aware of how we feel about healthcare. And so given that you know, I think a lot of social media with the millennial movement and the recognition of different uh, behavior types through different generations elaborates and, uh just understands that people deal with things differently and people have always been around and people have always dealt with things differently but the demands on the surgeon, the demands on medical students and the demands of our healthcare system have changed and evolved. I agree with you 100%. I was talking and preparing for a rotation a couple months ago and I came to the realization that between the junior, the senior, the intern, the night intern, the student, the student, the PA and the associate PA, there's eight people on the day team and there's one person at night. And that mm-hmm. one person at night doesn't just cover my busy service. You know, she or he covers three services. So the appreciation and the understanding that there's a complexity, I think, is to me where this is kind of going. Like you said and alluded to in my talk alluded to, I don't think that we're necessarily going to get rid of night float, but the awareness of how we interact with each other um, to take care of patients and take care of ourselves is really, really
0: important. And for people who don't, aren't familiar with this term of a night float person, Mm -hmm. right? So the the traditional model, the way, you know, people back in their day used to do it, right, was you would work all day, and then if you were on call, you would just, like, keep working all night. And back in the old days, you would then just keep working all day. Mm -hmm. Though when you talk to people from the sort of, you know, golden age, whatever that (laughs) means— they would often sort of sleep during the night and they would, you know, how many patients were you covering? Well, I was covering my service because there were two of us, right? And one of us was on every other night and it was only the people that we knew, right? But we've moved away from that because having people work all day, all night, and all day the next day clearly is not a great idea, particularly now when services are busier and you're not sleeping at night. To this night float system where a dedicated team comes in, sort of takes over from the day team holds the fort overnight and then hands everything back to the day team but it's not equally staffed right if there are four services with four teams during the day there may be one team of like a senior resident and a junior resident who are sort of minding the store overnight for that whole team hundred patients maybe more
1: Great. the talk talked about identified that as well but you're correct with all the different private services, public services, emergency general surgery services, trauma services. As a level one center, we're required to have a surgeon in-house, and we do that every night. The concept of home call um, means that you're on backup, but you're not necessarily in the hospital. And so the awareness of the surgeon taking care of or the resident in training taking care of literally dozens, if not potentially close to a hundred patients a night, who's brand new by the way, right? Like you can step from being an M4 on vacation, just having graduated to your first month is a night float because that's happens every year. Yeah. And right.
0: Someone has to start on it.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that was me and you don't know how to take care of basic problems. I don't know how to get into the hospital, let alone how to run a code or anything else. Mm-hmm. There's training involved with that. And that happens at, Every you know good institution, and we have that capacity um, to improve training and awareness and resources, as we talked about and discussed kind of in the discussion part after my talk it's it's a system, and I think that's what you alluded to. This is a system of chief residents, it's a system of senior residents, it's a system of backup, it's a system of surgeons who are not here. It happens every time, a mass casualty happens. We don't just rely on the one trauma surgeon to figure it out, we mobilize resources. If we have problems or there's people on services who are ill, we contact the surgeon. You know, The ability to communicate more fluently between team members, I think, sometimes uh, is us getting in our way? Yeah, I don't want to bother you at night. You're sleeping. You work hard. You have a family. You have responsibilities that I don't have, but I don't know what to do. So I need help.
0: Right, and I think you know in surgery, I'm sure this is I'm sure true in every specialty in medicine and and in life in general. But since this is the world we live in, we talk about surgery. And and um, one of the, I remember, you know, as a resident, you know, having attending say, you know, call me if you need me but need don't me if you call me. me. Yeah. And the implication of that was always like, don't call me. Don't call me. And then, you know, you wouldn't call. And then they would come in in the morning and they would disagree with something you'd done overnight. And it's like, yeah, do everything exactly the way I want you to do it, but don't you dare ask me what you want me to do. Right. The attitude that I've tried to take the sort of, you know, I feel like we must live by an aphorism, right? right. Like the one that I've adopted is never worry alone and always worry. Yep. That's what I want to hear from the the residents is I want them to call me and be like, I'm worried.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, yeah. and I want you to know that I'm worried. That reassures me, right? Yeah. The last thing you want is somebody just kind of trying to figure it out on their own. When you're lit, sitting there like, I have two young children. I'm awake anyway, yeah. probably, <laughs> honestly. Like, yeah. You know, the, the last thing I want to do is come in the morning, and discover there was some catastrophe that could easily have been fixed by my 20 years of experience
1: no, I agree. I think uh, and that was identified through several of the comments that I talked to our interns about when I was preparing for this talk is this barrier, and is it is it a resident barrier? Is it that you are so fearful of retribution from whatever standpoint that you can't get over your fear of talking, or is it actually pushback? Is it actually seniors or staff yelling at you or you know making you feel uncomfortable to the degree that you don't feel like it? And what I tell interns and what I tell myself when I went through that as an intern is just that I I really don't really care. I don't know what to do for this patient. And if this patient is my mom or your grandma or your friend, I don't know how to help them. And it's not worth my pride to hope that things are okay. I'd rather know an answer. And if it's as silly as what the dose of Tylenol is when I'm a day one intern, fine.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Now, there's a, there's a stress. Fight. I remember that phone call
0: when <laughs> I was an intern, and now they called me for Tylenol, and I was like, oh, I got to check with my senior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know?
1: It's true. Right. It didn't hurt anybody by doing it, I'll tell right. you that much. It's a couple extra pages and another phone call, and 10 minutes well spent that you'll remember, but...
0: That willingness to call for help goes up as your expertise level goes up. Like, I am way more willing to, like, call a phone a friend yeah. as an attending... Then I was just an intern, you know because I felt like as an intern, I had really had something to prove you know I, I had to sh- sort of show that autonomy, and now i 'm like, look, everybody kind of knows that I basically know what i 'm doing, so if i 'm calling it 's like legit like there 's a reason for it, you know, and no one 's going to sort of say oh you 're a terrible doctor right. you know they 're going to say, "Oh, good for you for for calling and like recognizing that there was like a value in another perspective on this. Yeah. And yeah, if I could go back in time and tell intern me <laughs> one thing, it, it would be that if somebody's mad at you for calling, that's their problem. Yeah, that's on them. And I think you know what, what you brought up, and uh, you know we heard some comments about this too. The, and I think it's really true. Like the the chief residents and the attendings that you remember as being your role models, as being like the people you want to be like, mm-hmm. they were the people who who picked up the phone and said, "How can I help you?" We're in this together. Like, how can we together fix this patient? And like, not like, why are you calling me? I've had that experience with as a chief resident. Now
1: that a lot of more consults and questions and clinical scenarios come to you as a chief and a a senior resident, you know, I'm having more, I'm talking with more staff. I'm talking with more emergency uh, attendings and and, and internal medicine staff and ICU staff. And when I am tired and exhausted and I get snippy and they remind me, you're still in training, it's appropriate because you have to understand and modulate your emotions to understand that they are asking for help, too. They are asking for a surgical question. They are making sure that they're doing everything right for their patient. You know, I think there's a spectrum from, again, the medical student is trying really, really hard to get a residency. They're trying to show that they can do everything mm-hmm. on their own. I am the great candidate. And then, like, we just, like, not you know purposely and dramatically but trash it all as an intern saying welcome to our system yeah learn everything over again right and at the same time say but do it perfectly because i don't want to be called at night it's just this really composite
0: right i mean emotions. it's like you take so you take a bunch of high achieving high driving people put them in an extremely stressful job that requires perfection all the time and then ask them to do it in the middle of the night with a completely <laughs> disrupted circadian rhythm. And it's just like... Really? I mean, best-case best, <laughs> best case scenario, people get a little, like, snippy on the phone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, worst-case scenario, people die, right? So, like, yeah. put up with the snippiness yes. and, like, accept that it happens. I mean, I certainly have been on both sides of that. Yeah. Also, but I mean, I, I should also say, like, from the perspective of, like, a staff person, like, yeah. telling a resident to, like, cool as jets you're still in training <laughs> is... Is a bit much, too, because, like, remember that, like, you now are – have been out of medical school for five years, Five years, right? I mean, me, when I was a chief resident, I was in the lab, I'd been out for eight years, you know? And, like, I remember emergency medicine attendings, who had been my medical students, calling me and being like, I'm an attending. And I'm like, and yet I remember you when you were a third-year medical student, you know? Like, we're in a longer process, like – it's it's actually, like – it's a system where we're all trying to take care of patients. We're all trying to do the right thing.
1: I think your comment is what I've told people and what I hear myself telling patients now is if I get a call at night from an intern who's worried about something and they say, I'm worried, or if I walk into a room and there's this complex situation and a post operative patient and things are okay, but they're really not, or something's going on. I tell the patient, I don't know what's going on, but I'm worried. I want you to know that you're my priority because I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that residency has fostered in me. And that's why we go into being physicians anyhow is because we have this curiosity. But the overwhelming nature of all we have to deal with of being a doctor doesn't allow us some time to just be curious and to understand how that works itself into our daily life.
0: Yeah. And I think that like one of those things that you learn as a chief, you know, by the time you're chief. Hopefully, um, and clearly this is the case with you, is you know, the, that sort of innate ability to sort of know when a patient's sick and when they're not sick. and like what, what you at some point you get to the point where you can sort of just like look at someone from the doorway and be like, "I need to worry about them and I don't need to worry about them. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a new trainee, like you don't have that ability, and the best thing you can do, is to assume every patient is dying until you've proven it otherwise, because it's the ones where you're sort of like, eh, it's probably nothing that will bite you. Right. right?
1: So I think, uh, to play off that and our comment earlier about I went through it, you have to too. I don't know a doctor that has not gone through a time in their life that has said, I was so worried. I lost sleep. I was just thinking about that patient all the time. And that's, good, right? Like, you want that in your physician. You don't want that all the time because you're just going to be sick from being so sleep deprived and whatnot and burned out. Right. But you want people to be worried. You want people to be involved and, you know, uh, know, acquiesce to your care. So, to say I agree, to tell a a junior yeah, they kind of snipped at you on an overnight call, but it's okay. I promise you, I have forgotten any kind of snippiness I told you, and I will apologize to you when you tell me that I did that because it's not called for, but you will go through it too. So brush off the thing that doesn't matter and just focus on the things that does.
0: On our next episode, I speak with Dr. Carol Ann Moulton. She's an associate professor in general surgery at the University of Toronto. Dr. Moulton became a scientist at the University of Toronto Donald R. Wilson Center for Research in Education. Her research interests include the psychosociological considerations of surgical judgment and surgeon error. And we talk about surgical judgment, and specifically how surgeons think in those moments in the OR when we're not quite sure what to do and whether we should call for help. It's totally fascinating. Join us. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery. And I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app. And don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope to check back soon. On Wisconsin the